Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Welcome back from our holiday break. I'm absolutely thrilled to return today with professional food journalist and photographer, Tilda Bourne. In this episode, Tilda shares memories of her generous but savage, very British grandmother, as well as her nanny's recipe for a syrup sponge pudding. Tilda and I found so much to discuss that I'll actually be releasing a bonus episode with her this Friday. Quick note before we start, Tilda and I had a miscommunication early on where I thought she was referencing Morton Salt, M-O-R-T-O-N. Tilda is actually referencing Malden Salt. M-A-L-D-E-N. We didn't pick up on that miscommunication until after the show. So if I didn't mention it now, I thought it may be confusing to you. One final thing before we start, if you don't mind just hitting that subscribe button, it would personally mean the world to me. With that done, please enjoy this show knowing that there is even more of Tilda's humor to come this Friday. This is the, like, the most surreal thing in the world. It is. Because just, you're the person that convinced me to do a podcast. <laughs> well, I hope for the better. <laughs> Certainly love it. I think of all the people that I've interviewed, I feel this, it's funny, I feel this kinship to you. I think because we kind of took a new leap at similar times. And also because I just adore your personality. I think you have the most standout, unique fun, vivacious personality on Instagram. And oh <laughs> anytime your story pops up, I start to smile before I even look at it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's lovely to hear that. I mean, it's funny. The reality is, is that I'm an incredibly dull person and I'm more like a grandma. And so if people think of me as a nice, funny, exciting person on Instagram, then then good on me, really, because that's an effort. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems authentic and it seems relatable. So, <laughs> I feel, so I feel like I have this kinship with you. But at the same time, every other guest, even if I had never met them, which is the majority, there was something. There was some work they had produced mm-hmm. um, or some book they had written or some way that I knew a little bit about them. And I just kind of feel like I know you, Tilda, as the food writer and photographer. And um, yeah, since this recipe is more about Tilda the person and Nanny's granddaughter, yeah, um, just give me a, a short bio of your life. <laughs> give me your life story in okay. 500 words or less. No, I'm kidding. It was funny because when you said this to me, I, it's, I've obviously, just no one's ever asked before. So. Right, right. I know. I felt guilty <laughs> writing that question. I thought, what in the world is she going to say? What would I say in this situation? But I think you figured it out. (laughs) So, okay. In a nutshell, I was born in uh, Chelmsford and I grew up in Malden where the salt's from. And I find that salt. What salt? Yeah. So, you know, Malden sea salt. Yes. Um, Yeah. That's where I, I grew up. And I think it's, I always find it so funny when, like, a lot of Americans, especially, they always like, oh, we use Morden sea salt for this. And, like, it's, and it's a massive thing all over the world. And it's obviously, it's great salt. I think we went to, um, we went to Barcelona to the lovely food market down Las Ramblas, and there was a Morden sea salt thing on there. I was like, oh my God, it's here. 
<laughs> it just followed you everywhere. So that's well, I I'm... always assumed that was a family name. No, no, yeah. So Malden's Malden's place, yeah, in Essex. Okay. Um, and where where is Essex? Yeah, so Essex is in like kind of east of England, like southeast east. We're about, I'd say on the train, we're about a for where I'm, I'm kind of based in mid-Essex mm-hmm. um, and it will take 45 minutes for me to get into London on the train. There's a lot of seaside towns in Essex as well. Malden is one of them. It's, a, it's down an estuary called uh, the River Blackwater. Yeah, so is that's it, where all is my it family... cold and blustery there? Do you know, we, I, I think Essex is actually the driest county in the UK. It's funny, really, because you always think that like Britain's obviously quite rainy and we, we have very extreme weather I mean, this summer, I think in London, it got up to like maybe 42 degrees. It was something like that. It was absolutely boiling and none of us have air conditioning. I need to do a quick conversion for my American, my American oh, friends. Of course, you're Fahrenheit, aren't you? Oh, I don't even know what that is. Oh, that's 42. That's saying this is like 107.6 Fahrenheit, yeah, which is, I mean, that's, that's no. miserably hot. And then when you're on the tube, which is like our subway in London, mm-hmm. it, and you honestly just think you're going to burst into flames. It was oh. horrendous. And of course, at that time of year, um, so it was, I think it was July when that happened, um, all of the Christmas press shows happen as well. It's called, there's this massive festival called Christmas in July, which is for all of um, like the kind of media to come and see what retailers are going to be supplying. It's, so you're sweltering in like next to no clothes and yeah. then looking at these snowy scenes of baubles yeah. and stuff. It's just, it's the weirdest thing ever. Wow. Okay, so you grew up in Essex, which is drier than the rest of the country. Yes. And then I'm trying, my parents divorced when I was five, I think. Okay. And I, um, for a short time, we, me and my mum moved and like lived with my nanny in her oh, house. Okay. So this is when that closeness began. Yeah. 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 Nanny's always, she's always been there. And cause mum, mum couldn't afford to just not work. Like if I was ill or something, then nanny would come over. Yeah. So from there, I went to a tiny little primary school. Um, which had, I think there were six, no, I think there were eight of us in my year. We were a really small school. It was called Messing. Is that because it was a rural area or is that common? Yeah, yeah. It was quite, it's quite in the countryside. It was the most idyllic school and it was, it worked like a family. There wasn't any kind of bureaucracy or anything like that. It was just everybody looked out for each other and everyone got on. There were three classrooms. So it was like kind of one building with three classrooms in. So there were fields around it. So we had PE classes, which Mm -hmm. were um, like physical education classes. And yeah. we played yeah. around every <laughs> single day. Rounders is laps. You just ran laps. No, so rounders is um is like a game. It's kind of like cricket. I think it's a it's kind of like a mix between baseball and cricket, okay. and probably more baseball actually. It's like such a British game, so traditional kind of childhood game that you play, and that's what we did. But, I mean, you wouldn't see that now. Now there's too much legislation in place, so that you right. can. Yeah, when I was there, we just played around us every day. And yeah, it was so cute. Mm. It wasn't very pressure filled. No, no. I mean, we had um, we had the kind of 11 plus, which is it's an exam that you can sit if you want to go to certain grammar schools, which are kind of more prestigious secondary schools. 
to do the 11 plus you really need tutoring outside of your normal lessons because it's kind of a whole um, syllabus in itself so for us we were quite small so we didn't really get the funding or the assistance in order to be able to do that we there wasn't too much pressure but there was just a lot of support and a lot of love in that school it was nice to have, have that whilst we were still young we were like yeah. very it was a very innocent school and it kind of suited our innocent age mm, um, you really it, had a true childhood yes yeah absolutely yeah I feel like there's so much illusion in all the yeah. prestige associated with certain schools or exams I believe that success in life is based more on ambition, drive, a certain risk-taking, those types of things. And I suspect that you and your classmates, while enjoying such an idyllic childhood, are still as successful as students that did go to more affluent schools, um, more pressure-filled schools. There isn't a push in kind of more rurally areas, I'd say. There's not a push for bigger jobs. I was told by a career consultant when I was at secondary school that I should think of becoming an administration assistant, which (laughs) looking back, I wish I'd punched him in the face. But um, did you feel that in the moment? I think we just felt so lost. I think that there's definitely you have to work incredibly hard to distance yourself from where you've come from a bit. And you have to be the one to take the jump because a lot of our unless you're in a family that's kind of used to city life and going to into certain big companies or big careers then you are kind of the first person to do that I said to James the other day I find it I find it amazing how many jobs there are out there that we didn't even know about I mean the idea idea of um, being a food stylist for example is just like nobody would say anything and being a food stylist I mean who career yeah I don't think that was on anyone's mind yeah no no and it's and even with James to be a data scientist he he didn't even think of that until a few years ago smaller schools when I was at school anyway had a habit of not deliberately keeping you in a box but they certainly you did feel like there was a certain area that your skills would fit into and sometimes bigger jobs wouldn't that that wouldn't be included in that. So you would say, tell me if this is right or wrong. It sounds mm-hmm. like you are able to appreciate everything that you had, the low pressure childhood and education that you had because you're able to forge your own path. But maybe if you weren't forging your own path, you might be a little more resentful or no. Yeah, I loved my primary school and how lovely and innocent it was. But the reality of not being in a family that's that's uh, high up in business on a broader scale means that you have to push quite a lot harder and be a bit more ambitious to reach those points because they're not presented to you as obvious options. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm. This is like a, I feel like I'm in a counselling session here. I'm absolutely <laughs> loving it, Becky. Spill out my life secrets to you. (laughs) Okay. So then what happened after that? Yeah, I went to, so I went to Thurstable Secondary School. It was a normal state school. And then from there, I went to do a diploma at Colchester Institute. And then I had a gap year and then went, went on to the University of Essex and did my BA in English Literature. Oh, so now this is different. Okay. So you do primary, secondary, and then what's, 
yeah we have um it's called sixth form you can kind of do sixth form or you can go I went to Colchester Institute which is for kind of vocational subjects so I actually oh. did a, I did a two-year diploma in musical theater and then I see yeah that's yeah. where you did the theater photography no no it wasn't I was just kind of I was thinking about going into performing okay but you did not continue in that I think that of all the people I know who've gone on to do theatre in a professional sense and earn a living out of it, they've all been of a very similar mindset and they've all been incredibly together and dedicated to their craft. And I don't see those qualities in myself. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's probably a good thing that I didn't do that. Well, I think you're doing just the right thing. For you. I truly, <laughs> truly believe that. I really do. Okay. And then you went to university and that's when you got the BA yeah, in yeah. literature. And that's when you really developed a passion for writing. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of in my second, I think it was in my second year. I did a, a kind of internship with uh, our like county newspaper which was really, really interesting. And from then I kind of, it was always something that I thought about. And then they kind of led on to me actually properly pursuing it and getting the work experience that I needed in order to get to where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. So I imagine what you love about journalism, it probably includes sitting down and typing out the words, but I imagine it's a lot more than that. It's the experience of gathering the information, figure Mm -hmm. out the right questions to ask. What is it that you really love about journalism? I think I I love the research side of it. Mm -hmm. I really love that. And Mm. I think the the writing is something that I I do love, but it's something that I have to um, take more time over. Either I'll have days where it comes pouring out of me and it's great and I can send it and it's done. Or I can have days where it's like, okay, we're going to have to work a bit harder on this one, get get the brain going a bit more. And since going freelance, I love the variety as well. I mean, I've written for publications that I've never worked with before, and it's just been a totally new experience that I've really loved. I think going freelance has taken my like, kind of journalism to a whole different level. I'm yeah, I'm lo- I'm loving that side of things. And how is that? Because you just have to. <laughs> do things you haven't done before, written in a way you haven't written before? Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of finding out like what works for different titles and doing pieces that if I stuck with one magazine, then I wouldn't necessarily get to cover that because it wouldn't be up for our audience or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's it's really and matched with the kind of like paired with the photography side of things. It's a really diverse way to earn a living at the moment. So that's mm-hmm. which I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying exploring it. Well, that's great. That's great. Okay. And when you do your photography, you make these recipes yourself and photograph them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I I do everything. I from the the recipe development and the kind of idea to the recipe itself, making it, styling it, photographing it. It's all it's all me. That's amazing. And when so where did your cooking and baking skills come from? Um, difficult, really. My my mum's a, a good cook. She's a really great cook. She's going to be listening to this and be like, how dare you? Um, she's a great cook at like certain things. Um, uh-huh. Like she she does the most incredible roast pork you've ever had in your life. And the baking side of things was probably more nanny. She like her Victoria sponge birthday cakes were iconic. Um, and I don't, I've always just had this 
kind of lo- I love watching cooking shows and it's always kind of been in me. Baking was kind of how I got into the cooking side of things. Well, let's turn our attention to Nanny. <laughs> and this is when I burst into tears. <laughs> mm. Um, so Nanny was my maternal grandmother, mm-hmm. my mum's mum. And um, she sadly passed away in 2016. I'm sorry. In in kind of like anticipation to talking with you today, I spoke to my mom and I spoke to James and everyone about. Quite honestly, we don't talk too much about nanny anymore because mm-hmm. it's quite a painful place. Um, yeah. Still, even even like three years down the line, um, it's still pretty raw. It's one of those. Oh. I've, I've always said that I feel like grief. Um, when they say grief gets better, it doesn't get better. You just start forgetting more. And that's and that sounds kind of awful, but you I feel like personally you kind of forget that it happened and then you remember and then you go through the motions again. And um Nanny was such a special person in so many people's lives. She was simultaneously the most wonderful person and the most giving person. She'd sell your house to fund anything you wanted. She wouldn't she would and she wouldn't think about it. But she's simultaneously that person and she's also the most savage person I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> she was she was a there was definitely this very British kind of um uh straight to the point um mm. person as well, which all of it, which was the humour of Nanny and which is what we all we all loved about her. Mm-hmm. So did you see her as a child? Well, you lived with her for a little while. Yes. Yeah. I, um, when we, yeah, when mum, I can't really remember most of this. I spoke to mum about it yesterday um, to try and like rejig my memory because I was quite young. We moved from Morden to Great Totten where she lived in a house called Nutwood. And I love that your houses have names. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I <Yeah>. just, <laughs> I have such a romanticized view of England. You have to know that. <laughs> Every, I feel like everyone thinks it's like the holiday. Do you know some parts of it are lovely, and then sometimes you're like, "Oh yeah, there we go. There's there's the there's the real Britain coming through." Yeah, it can't <laughs> be everything I want it to believe and believe it yeah. to be. Okay, so you lived with her when you were very young, and there came a point in my last. Um, I finished my last exam, and um, uh, Nanny wasn't doing too well. So, um, and this is a woman who was, she was never ill. I've like she she didn't have a single thing wrong with her for her entire life. She was the most healthy person I've ever met. She didn't smoke, she didn't do anything like that. And um she was and then one day she started to not feel very well and it turned out to be cancer. Mm-hmm. And at that point it's that it's that awful word that affects absolutely everyone I know um is affected by it in some way. And um I um moved in uh, with her after oh, my exams with her yeah so final weeks or months yeah yeah it was kind of a case of I was in a position where I was able to put off finding a job in mm-hmm. order to help her out she lived on an island which is about half an hour away from us and it's literally a place where when the tide comes over it covers the road that goes into it so you can't cross it quite a literal island wow. and 
she I just didn't we just didn't want her to to I think she needed someone there so I was in a position where I could do that so I moved in with her and we started looking at different diet techniques to try and help her and certain foods that were high in calories because she didn't want to eat anything don't know how many avocados I bought (laughs) it was we're just buying endless avocados and putting them into smoothies and all sorts Mm. and then um, when it started to get a bit more serious nanny then moved into my mum's cottage and uh, she was looked after by my stepdad and my mum there and me to a certain extent as well. It's one of those things where Nanny was the complete glue um, of our family. And once that went, I think everyone was in such shock that someone who's been so healthy from diagnosis, she was gone in a year. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit of, I think it was less than a year, actually. It was quite a lot to process. And she mm-hmm. she was... And to an extent still is the absolute glue that holds us all together. Mm. She was a a wonderful nanny, even though she was stubborn mm. and she was always stubborn. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you have any particular stories or memories that kind of um, illustrate her stubbornness? And it's just one that's kind of like popped into my head. Uh-huh. So she she went to a hospice for a bit of kind of respite. She was sat there, and um, and my son was like, "You're you're right, Renee." She was, and she just looked at him and put her thumbs up and said, "We'll fight them on the beaches." Oh, <laughs> mm. and that's it. And mm. that's just you just don't need to know anything else about her. It we were just like, what? Yeah, that mm. sounds. That sums up Nanny. She loved Winston Churchill and she loved um she loved Britishness and British values and that that's something that sums her up very well. <laughs> well, I feel like um again, so much of what I know of England is stereotypical, right? Mm. And um, but I feel like this combination of warm heartedness with <laughs> savage exterior. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. the stereotype, you know, when you would go see her as a child or as a teenager, was was it for, you know, just an hour at a time? Um, So sometimes we used to like stay over at Nanny's. Um, me and my cousin, Alice, we would do that, like kind of go around together and kind of towards when I was working and stuff like later on, like Nanny would come over for the Sunday roasts. Okay. And, uh, my mum notoriously makes far too much food. Um, <laughs> she just cannot stop herself. Honestly, it's like the, the, a literal feeding of the 5,000. <laughs> and <laughs> I can't. Nanny was brought up in the war, so there was no such thing as waste. And at the end of the Sunday roast, mum would box up all of the leftover roasts. And that would keep Nanny going for weeks. I mean, good grief. Mm. She loved that. She <laughs> So were there things that you usually tended to do with Nanny? Whenever I went round, if it was in the morning, so sometimes me and my mum would go over on like a, to hers on a Sunday morning and she'd always make bacon sandwiches with grilled tomatoes. Oh, BLTs. And then in the evening, Nanny was famous for her crispy pasta, which Ooh. is just, it's like mac and cheese, but uh-huh. uh, you do it with spaghetti and then at the end, you scrunch up a bag of like ready salted crisps. Yeah. And <laughs> How then you not love that. 
Yeah, you sprinkle it across the top and then cover it with like a little sprinkle of cheese mm. and pop it under the grill. Mm. And uh, and that's that's Nanny's crispy pasta. And I can, she used to make it on her, she had this, it was kind of like a, I think it was a belling cooker. Honestly, this thing must have been about 50 years old. And the smell of pasta boiling is just yes. so nostalgic. How did the war affect your your nanny? Like, what parts of her do you think were shaped by it? I remember her telling me that um, about the gas masks that they they brought with them to school. My nanny's father, um, so my great grandfather, he fought in the war. Uh, they were they were based in London at the time, and he told he sent them a letter telling them to leave. And that he'd he'd come to them. I think I can't remember where they went. I'll have to double check with my mum. But um, I th- yeah, and she she quite often told us about that. And there's also this this massive thing with food and the kind of the war on waste that they had. Yes. If you were to throw away like a broccoli stalk or something, you'd be deemed as the most wasteful person. Yeah. And which quite rightly, to be fair. But <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's something that she always carried with her. And she was always very frugal. She didn't have a lot of money. She raised three kids by herself. So she always had this incredible graft that um, she was very hardy. Yeah, I think that's something that the kind of living through the war and especially seeing how her mum responded to the war and the pressures that she had to deal with, with having, having the children and trying to protect them whilst also facing the fact that her husband was away. So... Mm. Yeah, I think that's something that that nanny nanny always had. Mm-hmm. So, when did nanny make her syrup sponge pudding? For my mum, when she was little, it was always on a Sunday night. Um, mm. On a Sunday evening, they had they didn't have a lot of money, so they'd really they'd rarely have roasts or anything mm-hmm. like that. They'd sometimes have a sea pie, which is a you'd think there'd be fish in it, but there's not. Um, <laughs> oh, <and> a sea <laughs> pie. Um, yeah, so like a kind of mince in uh, mince in gravy, and it has like a suet kind of crust on the top that kind of is supposed to like float above the gravy, which is why it's called sea pie. Okay. So, yeah, they'd have that. That's my mum's memory of of syrup sponge. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I remember Nanny bringing it out at Easter or just any kind of family gatherings if there was a birthday. Notably, I remember one Easter, she, I don't know why she did this, but um, <laughs> she, me and my uncle especially have a really sweet tooth. And she brought out this, we were at Nanny's for Easter, which is quite rare because she had quite a small house, but we were all there. And she brought out this chocolate tart, which sounds lovely, but we were like, where the hell's my syrup sponge pudding? <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, is she high like what is, what oh. is going on and that she was going to bring it out afterwards and she was like no I haven't made one and we thought she was just joking and she was like no no I just thought something different and uh, my uncle looked at me he was just like what on earth is going on it's <laughs> like is this some awful nightmare where I've been waiting for a year for this syrup sponge pudding at Easter <laughs> and and you haven't made one. I mean, what the hell is that? Um, oh, poor nanny, poor yeah. nanny. <laughs> you know, how awful is that? She serves like this three course meal. It's really lovely. And we're just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, 
a syrup sponge pudding. We don't use any of these three words mm-hmm. in America the same way that you guys <laughs> use them. A sponge, maybe. A sponge yeah. cake, maybe. So just describe the look, the texture, the flavor of a okay. syrup sponge pudding. And then we'll talk about making one. Okay. So first of all, it's massive. I remember showing you a photo of it and the, the photo didn't have anything to like show the scale of it. And right. I think you thought that it was quite small. And I was like, no, 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 this is massive. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was cute. <laughs> yeah. You were like, oh, look at it. It's so sweet. And I was like, no, no, <laughs> no. It's like kind of goldeny in appearance and the way it's baked. So you put syrup on the bottom of it and then put the sponge batter on top. Mm-hmm. And so you then turn it out. And the top of it, you get these like really lovely cakey globules of kind of goldeny syrupy sponge that have absorbed it all. Oh, God, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of the syrup kind of like drips down and creates a nice sauce. And it's just, you know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty simple pudding in terms of, like kind of British baking, but it's honestly, I just, I've got such a sweet tooth and that just hit the spot every single time. Mm. So this is the first time that I did not make a recipe in advance of a phone call. <gasps> I I didn't. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you why, because like I mentioned, I think when we texted, we don't have these ingredients. Yeah. <laughs> In the States normally, um, particularly the golden syrup. Yeah. yeah. So I I had to order them from Amazon and the golden syrup did not arrive when it said it was <gasps> arrive. A key element of the syrup sponge pudding. It, exactly. But also I'm curious about, well, let's go back and define some terms. So what is a sponge exactly? Um, so a sponge, a sponge pudding in this sense is, I'd say that they're things that you either steam or boil. I mean, the, the cake batter that you put in it is any other cake batter. You could put it in a tin and put it in the oven and it will come out like a normal cake. Yes. Um, So a sponge is just a cake batter. You can bake a sponge or you can boil a sponge. Yeah. Yeah. You'd usually, you wouldn't boil a sponge unless there was something like a liquid in it. I, I don't look at a Victoria sponge and go, oh, maybe I'll boil that today. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So then this is my next question. How do you define the term pudding? I mean, it's quite an old fashioned term, really. So a pudding is like you say, so you have a syrup sponge pudding, you can have a, a, a probably a jam roly poly pudding. Mm-hmm. You have uh, a Yorkshire pudding. Yeah, a Yorkshire pudding. Now that's a bit different. Um, that's more. That's batter. I mean, why is that called a pudding? I don't understand because it's not like the other ones. <laughs> okay, that's what keeps throwing me off. So I talked <laughs> the interview that I'm going to put out next week. So yours will release in January, but the one that I'm putting out next week, he had me make. It's called a Christmas pudding. It's just a uh, plum pudding recipe, he says, but uh-huh. with all these other things in it. Right. So. This is the first time I've ever boiled a dessert. This is totally foreign to me, boiling a dessert. (laughs) So I asked him, what is a pudding? And um, he said, well, you'll have to check with your English guest. And he said, but my best guess is a pudding is just an English word for dessert. 
It is inside. Yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely used for that. If someone would say to me, "Oh, do you want a pudding?" That would, yeah, that would mean dessert. But, but you would, you wouldn't make like a pan of brownies and be like, "Oh, would you like some pudding?" No, no, that's no, that's a bit. You might. You, I mean, you might do, but you kind of, yeah, you'd kind of say dessert then, really. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, I feel like Yorkshire pudding is the anomaly and we should ignore that entirely because I don't know why okay. that's the <laughs> Well, that's what I kept saying to him. I was like, but what about Yorkshire pudding, Robert? And he said, well, I don't know what to tell you about that. No, so no, let's, let's ignore that and act like <laughs> true professionals. Is a pudding always boiled? I'd say it's either boiled or steamed, yeah. Okay. I think we're really starting to... Get closer to the bullseye here. (laughs) And that's why we just don't make puddings here because we never boil desserts. The pudding that I know of, you know what I'm talking about, American pudding, right? It's like creamy, it's milk-based, it has tapioca or gelatin in it. I feel like, do you know, I actually, I looked this up last night because I've, I've never been to the U.S. I can imagine, I think the closest thing, the equivalent to us is custard. Yes. Yes, I think U.S. pudding. Yes, I think U.S. pudding is British custard. Yes, like, like so. thick custard. Yeah. Yes, yes. Except for we normally you you normally make custard with eggs, right? Yeah. And we make it more with a gelatin or a tapioca. Right. I see. As the thickener. I'm learning all sorts. <laughs> okay, so we've got we've got the sponge is essentially a cake batter. The pudding mm-hmm. is essentially something that's boiled. And then the syrup is what? Now, what is golden syrup? It's golden not syrup. honey. I assu- I always assumed when I saw it on the Great British Bake Off, I always assumed it was honey. It's not honey. No, no. It's it's basically an inverted like sugar syrup. Um, it's I d- That's as far as I can kind of take the description. Uh, technically it's an inverted sugar syrup and it's it's kind of golden and hence the golden syrup it looks like a kind of dark straw color and I think I read online that it's 25% sweeter than sugar like kind of in volume so if you like um, wow yeah it's very sweet it's funny golden syrup is just such a an actual staple of British baking. I mean, we use it in flapjacks. We use it in like syrup sponges, put it on pancakes, put it on everything. Like, so it's funny, isn't it? Just that I, all it takes is an ocean and golden syrup's not a thing. <laughs> yes. Well, I can't wait to try it. I'm so excited that you gave me this recipe because I really do feel like it's a true adventure in British baking. Yeah, um, yeah. But speaking of, I have another question about making this recipe. So you talked about a pudding basin. Yes, yeah. What is a pudding base? Is it is a pudding basin just a a bowl? Yeah, so it's kind of a bowl, but it's shaped a bit conical, so it's not completely round. It kind of tapers a bit more at the bottom of it, so that when you turn it out, you have like a nice conical kind of dome. So um, you think I need to get a pudding? I looked on Amazon. There are pudding basins on Amazon. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, there's so, <laughs> there's nothing you can't get on Amazon Prime. That's yeah. how, that's how foreign this is really, is that I can't even get any of them on Amazon Prime. You know what Prime is? Like the, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> do I know what Prime is? <laughs> I hear you. So I can't just use a bowl. I really need to get a pudding basin to make this. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you're going to okay. have to, I mean, send me some photos. It might be that you've already got 
Um, I'm, I'm positive I do not have a pudding basin. <laughs> <laughs> you can get like plastic ones, which is yes. what my nana made in. So, okay. so that might that might be a, a cheaper option for people as well. But yeah. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. And then tell me about this dire- <laughs> this direction here, oh, where you. <laughs> You know, my mum, my mum sent the recipe to me and I just kind of checked over it a bit. So if it goes wrong, then it's entirely her fault. I think it's just that it's so different. It's Mm -hmm. so, it's so foreign, which again, I find so fascinating. Cover the pudding. This is Mm -hmm. after, um, this is before you boil it. Cover the pudding with grease proof paper, creating a small fold in the middle of the paper to allow it to grow. So are we just kind of creating like a tent? It's like a tent. So as if you're going to put like cling film or like saran wrap over the top of it. Uh-huh. So, so it will be taut. But before you put the square kind of sheet of grease proof over the top of it, you want to just fold the inside. So there's a bit of a pleat. Um, uh-huh. And then when the pudding expands a bit, that will just allow it to grow. Otherwise, it will kind of like inhibit the growth of it and make it a bit stodgy. I see. I see. Okay. And then remember that feeling you said you had when you first looked at math problems? (laughs) That's how I feel when I read this part. Okay. (laughs) Then tie string around the top to secure the paper and make a handle with the string. Yes. (laughs) That seems so much easier said than done. (laughs) There is some... You just kind of get string and you wrap it around the rim of the pudding basin mm-hmm. in order to secure the grease proof. You can put some elastic bands around as well to hold it in place. Mm-hmm. And then you tie that. And then it's literally just a case of like putting a long piece of string across the top of the pudding basin. Uh-huh. So so that when you lower it into the water and when you pick it up, there's something to hold it from. Right. Okay. So I just tie one end of the the long string to the string that's wrapped around and then put it over and tie the other end yes. to the string. That's okay. I, I can do that. Works. No, no, I can do that. My heart rate is, it's normalizing again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fashion an entire macrame handle from a piece of So uh, do you know anything about the history, this history of boiling desserts? Yeah, I think as far as I'm aware, kind of like suet puddings and these old fashioned puddings came around the the Victorian times. So not not incredibly long ago. But then before that, you kind of have the the clouty dumplings and like Christmas puddings, like the kind of plum pudding that you were talking about. Those kind of things, they date back before the the conventional oven was born mm-hmm. so so kind of boiling things was the standard method especially in like Scotland you have a clouty dumpling which is kind of like a fruited kind of mix which is an incredibly old recipe that you put in the middle of a muslin and tie it in and then you place it into simmering water and mm-hmm. let it cook actually in the water in the muslin so I think it's just a very old fashioned form. That's that's this Christmas pudding. Tie it in a sheet and you Uh let it boil for like seven hours. Yeah, that's a clouty dumpling, yeah. A clouty dumpling. So what would you call a plum? He said it's a plum pudding recipe. The only thing, the only time I'd call something a plum pudding is if it had plums in it. (laughs) (laughs) 
so <laughs> I know oh, that's quite like plum puddings are kind of like um like Christmas puddings are quite like kind of it's like yes. an old fashioned word for that yeah but I've yes. never I I wouldn't I call it a Christmas pudding or a clouty dumpling I wouldn't call it a plum pudding that sounds good so all right well like I said I feel very guilty about all of the time that I've taken from you no it's my fault for talking for eternity (laughs) I enjoyed every moment I've got such a career going there so I'm so proud of you I cannot thank you enough for your time for teaching me and I hope it wasn't too painful to talk about nanny sorry about that no no you know it's really lovely to kind of uh, relive some of those memories because they are happy memories and and it's just sometimes the sadder memories start to block out the nice ones. So mm-hmm. it's nice to kind of have a chance to talk about her, who she was, how savage she was. And <laughs> um, yeah, we, we all miss her very much. But um, but yeah, she's she's always here. So mm-hmm. and thank you again for your time. I really do appreciate it, Tilda. No, thank you. And well done for um, taking the jump because the podcast is absolutely amazing and I love listening to it. So I'm very, very proud of you, Becky. Thanks for giving me that push. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, love. Bye. Don't you want to hear more from Tilda? Good news. This Friday, I'll be releasing an episode where I obnoxiously quiz her on British food culture in general, particularly in the context of the Great British Baking Show. In the meantime, you can find her nanny's syrup sponge pudding recipe on the blog, as well as links to some of Tilda's latest journalistic work. I linked specifically to the interview with John Waite that she referenced earlier in the episode. Thank you so much to Tilda for being such an informative guest, and thanks to you, all of you, for listening. Please hit that subscribe button right now to catch the episode this Friday. And if you're feeling very generous today, I will be eternally grateful if you leave a review for the Storied Recipe podcast in any player that you use. That's it. Have a great day, my friends. Talk to you Friday. Friday.